Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you're tuning in with us for this episode. And today I have Sister Rose McClarney with us today. Thank you, Rose, for joining us. You're welcome. My good friend, Michelle Kylo, um, serves on the board of the CCR, Center for Conflict Resolution. And Michelle and I have, have been friends over the last three and a half, four years. In fact, she was one of the early interviews I did when I started this oh. podcast. And uh, I was trying to get somebody from CCR uh, and talk about restorative justice. And so... I finally got your name <laughs> and tracked you down. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Before we get into, you know, the, the theme of restorative justice, which is what I what I really want to leave time to talk about, kind of dig in a little bit, because I'm fascinated with that with that concept and that topic. But I want to I want to get a little bit of your story. I always like to get people's backgrounds and where you were born, where you grew up. Um, maybe your family background and some of your spiritual journey as well. So where were you born? Where, where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up um, north of Kansas City near Gower, Missouri. Went to school in Gower Church in Easton, and our address was Hempel. And uh, my uh, father and four brothers did most of the farming, and my sister and I did the housework and the chickens and uh, garden and other things like that. So this is a big private family farm. Yes. Over, like you, how many acre farm? Well, it, it over the years it grew to a thousand acres because uh, different brothers would acquire land as they you know got the ability to do that. Hmm. And so it was uh, turned out to be a thousand acres. Okay. And my youngest brother still farms, uh, but does it by himself now. So uh, he has downsized. And uh, but same same area, same, same land. area, yeah, same area, yeah. Hmm. yeah. How many siblings do you have? Uh, I there were six of us, and it was two boys, two girls, and two boys. And um, then. Uh, Occupation-wise, it was two attorneys, two nurses, and two farmers. <laughs> so you're kind of in the middle. I'm in. You the have smack two older brothers, middle. and a. Do you have an older sister as well? Yes. Okay. And then yeah. two younger brothers. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so growing up on the farm, you guys yes. did cattle, hogs, chickens, yes. Yes. crops. Yes. Man. Yeah. I said um, they didn't have child labor laws on the farm. Right, I know. Because <laughs> yeah. we had the chickens, we gathered the eggs, uh, we 
process the chickens and put them in the freezer for to get through the winter and uh, canned things from the garden and uh, not a lot of idle moments. Right. But that, you know, I I love that I grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. I think it gave me an appreciation for nature and the mm. processes of nature and uh, the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, I I developed that appreciation, but just because I ended up loving backpacking and I got into backpacking and just came to it that way. But but did not grow up on a farm. You know, I've never had a chicken, never had a hog, never had a cow, never had a horse, never like I've only had a few cats and a few dogs in my life. You know, that's it. (laughs) But yeah. um, So in your family was Catholic in background. Yes. McClarney, what where where does that take you from Ireland? It sounds yes. Irish. Yes. Have you been to Ireland? I have. Yeah. Uh, on my sabbatical, I got a chance to go, and uh, went and uh, didn't contact any relatives. Didn't get to that point of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, were you? Do you know if your family is in the southern part of Ireland or? Uh, yes. Southern. Yeah. yeah. I I went to Ireland in 2018. We think it's possible that Heron, my name is Double R Heron, and it's it's one of the theories is that we were O'Heron uh-huh. and dropped the O because of all the, a lot of Irish tried to disguise themselves at one point in American history. Um, but uh, there is an O'Heron County, I guess, in uh-huh. Ireland that, because when I went there with a few of my sisters and... We had a blast. We spent most of our time in Northern Ireland, but uh-huh. up on the coast, up North Coast. Mm. But God, what a great! Yeah, it was hard to. Be- Everybody was so nice. Yeah, it was hard to believe that they ever fought each other. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like these 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 are the nicest people on the planet. Yeah, you know, and I would tease them a little bit. So how did you guys get in a big fight? You know, <laughs> I just like I mean, of course, I'm a little bit of religious history there right but uh yeah but beautiful place beautiful island well um how so you strong catholic background irish uh, catholic yes but we didn't make a big deal of being irish yeah uh, and uh our fa- going to school in gower our family our relatives and us were the only catholics so really yeah wow yeah. Huh. So you mostly Protestants around you. Yes. And uh, but you had a you had a small church that was up there. In Easton. Yeah. Easton okay. Had the small church. In fact, mm-hmm. the first two years of school, uh, I went to a two room schoolhouse. Uh, grades one through four in one room, and four through eight in the other room, and that was run by the Sisters of Mercy from Iowa. And then that closed, so I went to the consolidated school in Gower, um, which there were 18 in our class. Wow. Were you the valedictorian? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I actually ended up going to the last two years of high school in St. Joe, Missouri. Uh, lived with my grandmother. My sister and I lived with my uh, our grandmother and went to the last two years of school there a convent of the Sacred Heart, which no longer exists. 
this you finished off in a in a Catholic school in yes. St. Joe. Yes. Okay. So what what did you do after high school then? Uh, I went to Avila University to nursing school, and did four years there. Uh, and did you go to the main campus? Because I know they have. They, well, they do stuff at, all over the place now, but yeah. was it where was it? Was at it, that time, uh, the academy and the college were on the same campus, and it was actually called the College of St. Teresa. Um, and the year that I graduated, they opened the campus, Avila campus, where, which is further south. Where, where is it located? It's at 120th and uh, Warnell Road. Okay. All right. Well, cool. And then what What about you, you got a degree in nursing? Is that right? Yes, and I got then, a degree in nursing. And during my junior year uh, of college, I was on a retreat in Conception Abbey and uh, decided I wanted to become a sister of St. Joseph and uh, decided also to wait until I graduated from college before I did that. Okay. So I graduated in uh, May of 62 and entered in September of that same year. And my father says, you just start earning money and you go to the convent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about the background of the Sisters of St. Joe. Uh they were founded in France in 1650 and by a Jesuit priest who was a spiritual director of uh, some women who wanted to deepen their spirituality and uh, to the point that they wanted to do some ministry together and do some uh, communal living. So uh, he decided to found together with them, they decided to found the Sisters of St. Joseph hmm. uh, in France. And now they're all over the world. They're in Africa and Denmark and many different countries. Hmm. Do you call them uh, uh, convents or chapters or? Uh, we call them congregations. Congregations? Yes. And do so, you know how many congregations there are around the world now? They're I would be guessing. I think yeah. there's about 40. 40? Yes. Okay. Because in, initially when many of them developed, because communication was very difficult, they would break off and become their own congregation. And now with communications and smaller numbers, uh, they're actually going the other way and reuniting hmm. uh, some different congregations. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, so Give us kind of your background with Sisters of St. Joe. And then and then then I want to after that, I want to jump into some of the restorative justice ideas okay. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, the when I uh, entered the Sisters of St. Joseph, it was prior to the Vatican Council, uh, which made us look at who's in the church, who's involved in the church, what are their roles uh, and how are they living? And uh, for the Sisters of St. Joseph, that meant looking at when we were founded, what was the intent and what was the spirituality and to go back to that. And so that was when we changed the habit 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we had been wearing the habit, and that was we were meant to be people to go out and be among the people and meet the needs of the people. Mm. And it was easier to do that if you wore the dress of the day rather than a habit. Uh, so we stopped wearing the habit. Mm. And also we had more of a say in what we would be doing and where we would be. But for my first assignment was cha- prior to those changes. And uh, so I was assigned to uh, St. Joseph Hospital in Augusta, Georgia, and went there and did various roles in healthcare there. Uh, but one of the things I discovered while I was there, I just had the opportunity to develop some new programs and ended up uh, developing new things like there was no home health care in the area and the hospital decided to take on that role and asked me to head it up. So I established a home health care program and during that time I was doing that, hospice was beginning to spread in the United States and I said that makes a lot of sense. So we implemented hospice and I discovered that I had energy and could do that kind of thing. So beginning new programs got in my blood. Hmm. Very good. So yeah. 20 years in Augusta, Georgia. Yes. My, my, uh, I told you my mother is from Savannah and yes. have, we have, you know, some relatives in Augusta. So I've been down there. I know it. Good stuff. Um, and then where, where did you go from Augusta? Well, I was, uh, elected to leadership role with the congregation of St. Joseph. And uh, that was back in St. Louis. So I did that for eight years. And during that time was when I really got to uh, go to the various places where we have sisters missions and uh, see different things and uh, just to help coordinate things across the congregation. Uh, And that was really interesting. Mm. Uh, I, you know, became aware of so many things I hadn't been before. Mm-hmm. Really broadened my perspective on things. Interesting, interesting. So, um, get so take us to um, your interest in justice issues. Where that, that developed while you were with the sisters. Yes. Right. Yes. What? Who influenced you at that point, and what got you kind of on that? trajectory? Uh, well, there was a sister, uh, Tobias Hagen, uh, that had a retreat center right outside of St. Louis. And she would uh, have some speakers and nationally known people in spirituality that came there. And uh, I may, it was had the opportunity to make some of those retreats in uh, that just broadened even more my thinking and uh, perspective on things. And uh, she was very justice oriented and had a week long gathering of our sisters from all over the US that were interested in deepening uh, social justice and what we were doing and got to participate with that. So it just kept deepening my passion and commitment to mm-hmm. social justice. Okay. Yeah. So, and and you you ended up from St. Louis. You went to you had a couple of other 
places, right? Before you landed in Kansas City? Well, I uh, I worked in, I ended up taking the position with the, uh, after I finished leadership, I ended up taking the, being the director of a new nonprofit organization, uh, Center for Women in Transition, which was working with women coming out of prison. And was that in St. Louis? That was in St. Louis. Okay. So I stayed in St. Louis and worked with that program for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Then came to Kansas City? Yes. And what brought you to Kansas City? Well, it uh, when I was working with the Seawood in St. Louis, the program got bigger than my energy, especially in fundraising. And um, so I decided to retire and had a co-worker, another sister of St. Joseph, and um, she decided to uh, also resign from from there. And um, she said, do you want to move to Kansas City? And I said, sure. Uh, and it was, it was just a spontaneous thing. And uh, she has family here and I have family here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we... Uh, came to Kansas City and, of course, started looking around to see what was going on and uh, uh, worked with several different things and realized that there was nobody in Kansas City that was um, inclusive in who they accepted into their programs for people coming out of prison. Mm -hmm. Some had a narrow scope that they were addressing and that was good because they were doing a good job with those folks. But there were folks that were falling through the cracks, mm-hmm. uh, didn't have the assistance that we thought they should have. Hmm. So Georgia was a go-getter. And uh, she said, uh, do you want to begin a new nonprofit? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I've been there, done that, and I know what kind of energy it takes. And she said, will you be on the board of directors? And I said, yes. Hmm. So she became the director, and I was chair of the board, and we created a board and created the organization, and uh, that was 10 years ago. And this was the CCR? No, this This was the women's... This was Journey to New Life. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So Journey to New Life uh, is a companion organization to the Center for Conflict Resolution. Okay. Yeah. But... uh, yeah, the other thing that I did when I moved to Kansas City was I, of course, got together with Diane Kaiser, who was the executive director of CCR. Okay. And um, I haven't met her yet, or I may have met her briefly at a. Yeah. I had I went to that big dinner party they had down in, a, maybe I don't know how long ago that was, a year yeah. ago or eight nine months ago. I can't remember. Yeah. But. Yeah. I probably met her there. Yeah. And uh, Diane asked if I would be on the board of Center for Conflict, or yeah, Center for Conflict Resolution. So okay. I joined the board. Okay. Yeah. yeah so that brings us uh, together then, because Michelle Kylo is on, on serves on the right. board, and yeah. she connected with you, and yeah. So I, I want to kind of th- step back and think about the a big picture, and then kind of bring us into. Uh, restorative justice. And so, you know, as a pastor, I've, I've pastored, um, people on the right, people on the left, I've people everywhere in between. Um, 
it's in, it's interesting to me. I think when most people think of justice, they they typically think of you know like law and order, mm-hmm. you know punishing criminals, that 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 part of justice. Then so and we could even call that punitive justice right. if you wanted to, right? right? Yes. Um, the other thing that's interesting to me is is like social justice is a real positive word for me, and I think you know if you look at the message of the prophets, you know, one of the things that they was central to them was this message of mishpat, which is the Hebrew word for justice, which is really about social justice. It's, it's, it's mindfulness of those who are um, suffering in society, who are on the margins, who are on the, who are on the outsiders, who are, you know, uh, so the, for the poor, the widow, the orphan, all these mm-hmm vulnerable people. Right. Um, so that's all been a positive thing, but I know some of my friends on the right have like demonized social justice Mm. because they think it's like it's socialism and they don't want socialism and you know, that kind of thing. They're soft on crime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that too. Right. That, that could be another reason why they might demonize that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, they they're socialists and they're soft on crime. Yeah, exactly. That's not my view, but I, I'm still, it's out there, right? It's yeah. floating around. Yeah. But, um, but um, then, then, and there might be other big categories of, of justice in our culture, but, but then we come to this restorative justice, philosophy, theology. That's what I really want to dive into because I've been fascinated by it. And I've only run across this phrase, you know, this term restorative justice, maybe in the last 10 years in my reading. But every time I read about it, it's like, oh, well, that sounds like something I'm totally into. And it sounds very, very much like a, a Jesus approach to justice. I don't or even maybe a prophetic you know, Hebrew approach to justice. But yeah, so give us give us a big picture and then help us start. Let's unpack restorative justice within that maybe start with a bigger cultural context of just justice in mm-hmm. general and then bring us bring us to the social justice or this restorative justice yeah. concept uh, <clears throat> well <clears throat> restorative justice really looks at who's who's been harmed uh, and what needs to happen to heal the harm and um, they, the criminal just our criminal justice now is punitive, and it takes the perspective of if you punish them, they won't do it, without looking at why are they doing what they're doing, and uh, if anybody experiences some of the restorative justice practices, uh, the experience is totally different. Uh, an example is we have neighborhood accountability boards. And a first-time low-level offender um, comes to the Neighborhood Accountability Board instead of going to court um, and sits there with the victim and some community members. And they get a chance to say what was going on in their life, why did they do what they did. And so everybody gains an understanding of, okay, what's the dynamic, what's going on here? And then what would it take to heal the harm? The victim gets heard 
and gets a chance to say, this is how I've been harmed and this is what I want in order to be healed. Mm. And community members get to say, uh, well, what's our role in this and uh, how have we been harmed? How's the community been harmed? And then everybody decides what happens. But very frequently, part of the outcome of that is what does the offender need so they don't do what they did? And it may be, a real example was a lady with a baby who was having teething problems and she went into a drugstore and shoplifted some of that teething medicine to put on the babies. Mm. And she didn't have the money to do to buy it. Mm. Um, you know, that's a simple example, but that's just an example mm -hmm. of how it works. And so the the focus is on restoration rather than punishment. It mm. wasn't going to do any good to punish her. <laughs> wasn't going to stop her need. Right. Uh, and uh, so it actually goes all the way back to the Native American way of handling conflict and ha handling when harm has been done. Uh, they sat in a circle and this again, listen to what's going on, what are the dynamics among us, and what needs to happen. Uh, so it's, it's, that's the basis of restorative justice, is the Native American way of solving differences and harm. Yeah, so let's, let's tease that out a bit. So in, in, in our, when, when us uh, Europeans started arriving in America, there was already, already this robust yeah. indigenous uh, peoples and cultures all over North America. They actually had a system of, of justice in place that had a restorative angle to it. Yes. So like, instead of just like, did, did, did indigenous peoples have prisons before we got here? No. <laughs> <laughs> they, part of part of addressing the need uh, for repairing the harm might be to ask the offender to uh, be separate for a period of time to think about their perspective and what they did and why they did it, and and then they could come back to the to the circle to the group. Uh, so they're you know. But that wasn't considered for punishment. It was considered for restoring that person. So the the objective in these indigenous circles of of working through pain and, inf yeah. you know, if, if somebody had stolen something, somebody inflicted violence on somebody, somebody murdered somebody even, there would be these circles that... Yes. That they would sit and have a discussion, right. but the goal was always restoration and healing, not punishment. Yes. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And that was like a part of the whole indigenous culture yeah. in America, all, cut through all the different tribes and everything. I'm not sure that it cut through all the tribes, but it was a basic principle of hmm. most of the tribes. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. But the, when the Europeans came, 
we brought our system of justice, which was primarily punishment. Yes. And prisons and jails. Well, when you think even, uh, you know, when uh, some uh, Australia was uh, founded. A it penal was, colony, it, right? Yeah, a penal colony. <laughs> yeah. They were sent away, mm -hmm. uh, you know, instead of what does the person need and what does the community need, they were sent to a foreign country. So, yeah. Interesting. It's such a challenging thing, you know, when, when, when Jesus said to love your enemy, right? Yes. Like that, I think that is the most challenging, I think for most people, it's easily the most challenging thing that Jesus ever said. Because, I mean, we, we can have somebody disagree with us oh, yeah. politically or philosophically or religiously, and we, we feel like we have an enemy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just disagreeing with us, you know. And then, you know, if somebody, somebody really hurts us or wounds us, it can be really challenging to work through forgiveness issues. It's easier to armor up with anger and want to get even or blame or resent, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the more severe the hurt, or the more severe the crime, the deeper the wound, right? Right. So. And we, well, in our perspective, which we haven't uh, really stopped to analyze and, and say how untrue it is, is the concept of justice, that if somebody gets capital punishment, then it's like that takes away the pain of uh, the family of the person that was murdered, uh, and it doesn't. That's a misnomer um, that it takes away their pain. It doesn't. You know, they. I think it's just that we've said for so long, well, now justice has been served. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been served. Killing another person doesn't mean that killing is wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, violence doesn't heal violence. Right. Right. Um, so I'm going to give some real concrete examples here. Let's talk, let's, okay. let's apply restorative justice to a couple of these concrete examples, actually very close to me. Um, so, so one I'm thinking of right now is, um, um, is, is it Ralph Yarl? Oh, yeah. Ralph Yarl. He, he was um, a young African-American student at Staley High School, just, just a few minutes from here. I, I lived, my house previous to this where we're recording now was two minutes from Staley High School. And uh, Ralph, I think, is that the right first name, Matt? Ralph Yarl, yeah. Um, he, he was going to pick up a friend, I think, at night. No, he was going to pick up his, his sibling. And the address... I think was instead of a certain street, he went to a terrace or vice versa. He, it was a terrace, you know, like such and such terrace. Yeah. And he went to the street, rings a doorbell, All right. and an eighty-something-year-old white man sees a black guy on his porch and shoots him through the through the window. This just happened a few weeks ago. It made national news. Right. I went to the the students had a had a peace march uh, yeah. and I went to that and met with some of the, the women, some of mm -hmm. some of my African-American women friends. And, mm -hmm. and it was more of a 
more as a peace kind of, but, but to bring attention to this, right? Yeah. So, you know, here you have this 80 something year old man who's living alone. Um, how in the world would we, would we heal this? Because the, the punishment factor is, well, get the white guy, you know, and um, punish him. How, how, how in the world would restorative justice work in that situation? Well, first, I, I, a basic principle that I have is that uh, God created good. And uh, so I view all people and uh, all things as sacred that have been created by God. And taking that mindset, then I will, I look at the white man who did it as good person. Something went wrong someplace. And so one of the basic questions of restorative justice is, well, how do you repair the harm that's been done? And the, you know, that's difficult when you have a murder. Uh, so this young boy is not going to be. Thank God he done. lived, right? It's a pretty mi big miracle, actually. But yeah. Oh, that's right. He did. Yeah, he lived. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He did. He got shot in the, yeah. in the eye and in yeah. the arm. Um, but still survived this. Yeah. It's like, whew. Yeah. It's a lot of trauma yeah. for the family, for the kid, you know. And so what does Ralph and his family need in order to be healed? Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, what does the man who did it, what does he need? Um, you know, I... <laughs> but it, we... Our instinct... Don't is, we have to think that way, right? Yes. Right. I think so. Right. It really stretches us to, yeah. to really use this. Yeah. We just want to. And it doesn't mean anybody gets off because one of the basic principles of restorative justice is to hold the offender accountable for what they did. They, they can't deny it. Um, yeah. They, they've got to admit what they did. And there are you know, people who will say, well, he was justified in what he did. Well, that has to be looked at. Was he really justified in what he did? Mm -hmm. I say no. Uh, yeah, I don't think ringing your doorbell should get you shot. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he could, you know, who knows what was in the the man's mind right. that shot Ralph. Um, what, well, and, and, what, what, what was going on in his brain and why he responded that way. Right. We don't. We don't know that, but, but it does think about both the victim and the perpetrator and thinks about how to each, each of these people walk through healing. Yeah. And it even thinks about the community that surrounds yes. the victim and the perpetrator and how does the community walk through healing. As well as, you know, uh, what is our responsibility in truly creating community? Uh, you know, if we've got people with what I call extreme thinking on something that can be very harmful, then what am I doing as a member of the community to examine that thinking and deal with it mm. and get it back on balance? Yeah. 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 It's such it's such tough work and our and the systems in place don't. The, the, our, our, our 
justice systems don't move toward what you're talking about. Right. We have to create new approaches right. to help that happen. Right. Because yes. it's not going to happen through our justice systems in, in America today, the, like healing for the victim, healing for the perpetrator and healing for the community is not the goal of any of our systems that are currently in place. Would, would you say that to there be true? Are, there are some openings for change. And, okay. uh, you know, this is sad to say, but what's gotten some legislators in community members thinking differently is we're spending $80 billion a year on incarcerating people. And 68% of the people that um, come out go back in. Well, that's not working. That's That makes no right. economical sense, let alone, right. uh, you know, justice sense. And, and plus, if you look at the racial breakdown on yes. our prison systems, yes. it's it's you know it the poor and the you know race race and poverty play a role in who gets in prison yeah. and who doesn't yeah. right yeah there's a book called uh, the new Jim Crow yeah. mass, mass incarceration yeah the and new it's, Jim Crow. it's big business yeah like these prisons make massive a bunch of money and so there's if you look at the prison system since Reagan. Yeah. And the money that's gone, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Like, and the numbers of people that, and, and they keep building more of these prisons all over right. the country, you know, and well, they're big money makers. Well, we're, we're sitting in Jackson County in uh, Kansas City that's just building a new jail to house a thousand inmates. Yeah. And I forget what the price tag on that is. Yeah. But if that was used instead to start looking at our justice system, and there's good people in the justice system that want to see it change. Right. Exactly. And yeah. It's not all evil people out there right. doing this stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. No, there's good hearted people that. But so I'll give you another concrete example. So I just did a funeral yesterday for a 22 year old lady who, um, went missing a year ago, mm -hmm. Abby Schaefer. And they just found her body three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. Wow. And, uh, and they have not, um, f so they're still collecting data on this. Uh, it's possible. It's, it's still unknown at this point what exactly happened but there's a there's a big chance that this this is a murder and that her you know her body's showed up definitely in in the woods mm. you know hidden somewhere you know so the body was discarded without mm. yeah so um so when i did the of course i'm speaking to you know a young crowd you know it's this 22 year old gal who was loved and um and I, and I'm talking about, you know, well, how do we, how do we work through this? You know, there's so much, you know, there's, there's survivor guilt. What could I have done differently? Could I have done something different that changed the situation? Would she still be alive? I, you know, there's, there's the, um, anger toward, uh, the perpetrators of, of her death who still are kind of almost unknown, even though they have mm -hmm. some hints. 
Um, there's all the, you know, just the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the trauma. And I'm still trying to give a message like, you know, sometimes it feels like the whole universe is against us or God's against us and trauma, you know, where's God in the midst of all of that? There's, there's that side to it. But then there's also, I always talk about forgiveness in those situations and, you know, violence doesn't heal violence. Hatred doesn't heal hatred. You know, only love can do that. And really only healing and restoration can heal all the parties involved in that situation. But how would, how would restorative justice come into play in a, in a situation like this? This is, so I'm, I was just with this family yesterday, you know, yeah. we're, we're recording on what is today, May the 16th, 16th yeah. of 2023. And, um, yeah, I just did the funeral yesterday for Abby Schaefer. Uh, one of the things uh, with restorative justice is some people equate restorative justice and forgiveness, and we don't go there with that. And the reason is it can do harm to people who aren't at that point. And somebody has to come to forgiveness because they're willing to do that mm. uh, and see a need for it themselves. Mm. Um rather than doing it for somebody else or you know uh, so if they're not psychologically ready and emotionally ready mm. we don't have an expectation of forgiveness mm. um you know i've talked to many people who have gone to forgiveness but they do it because they realize that if they stay in the anger if they stay in the you know uh, angst is hurting them mm. because they're holding on to the yeah. those emotions. Um, so they need to do it for themselves, not for other people. Yeah. Um, but to you know, I, I I appreciate that distinction between forgiveness and restorative justice. Yeah. It's, I mean, the anger that comes is ha is natural. Right. Exactly. It's a human emotion. Exactly. It's it's actually nothing wrong with that emotion right. but processing it in a healthy way right. that i think usually ultimately in the long run when the person's ready for their own health for their yeah. own well-being they they do need to let it go right yeah. and well come and there's many instances in which uh say the first time that uh, in a mediation where an offender and a victim actually meet each other uh and they're not thinking about forgiveness. They just want to come to an understanding or the offender may have, I mean, the, the victim may have some questions, things they want to know from the offender. And it's not unusual that if that is really an open process and the offender takes accountability and the victim sees that you know, this is basically a good person, something just went wrong here and caused the offense, then it, it's not unusual that the person comes to forgiveness. But it's they've gone through that process and they come to it without it being in any way an expectation or forced. Mm. <clears throat> so 
so you've, you've got to dive into these situations. Like let's say CCR here in Kansas city center for conflict resolution. Yes. This is a, you, you, you're working these programs both with people coming out of prison, but you're also working them in schools, oh. right? Some of the schools yeah. and stuff yeah, like that. The, the the main work of the people coming out of prison is the journey to new life organization. Okay. Um, and but Center for Conflict Resolution uh, goes in many different places, uh, addressing how do you manage conflict. You don't get rid of conflict. It it happens. It's everywhere. Right. And but the goal is to learn to manage conflict and to put uh, restorative practices in place instead of punitive. Mm -hmm. So uh, CCR goes into the schools and has um, training sessions with faculty and staff first mm -hmm. so that there's uh, practices on their part mm -hmm. that are not, instead of being punitive, instead of suspending people, you look at, is that, going to be healing for anybody uh, or is it just going to put a student further behind mm. uh, but maybe they do need that time out from being with the others uh, so it, it looks at what's what's going to be healing here and what's going to uh, decrease the conflict mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> they also teach circles where say a classroom uh, will have a circle and uh, talk about is there something going on dynamic that's harming the classmates or is there a particular person that's harming the their classmates and once that person really hears and sees what's harming them and how it's harming them they come to remorse uh, on mm -hmm. their own whereas they may come in saying I had a reason for what I was doing. Yeah. But when they hear how they've harmed other people, that changes them. Yeah. So, I mean, like, let's just <clears throat> like, let's say a, some kind of a, an, a violence breaks out in a school between maybe two students and let's say CCR center for conflict resolution is, is working in this mm -hmm. school. What, what would, and let's say it's not a murder, but let's say somebody's been injured, harmed through physical violence. So there's a victim and there's a perpetrator in a school, let's say a high school. Um, how in the world do you get people to the table? Like, how do you get people into circles yeah. like that? Who wants to, how do they, how, do, how, how did you have the influence to actually transact? A circle where you would have the the perpetrator, the victim, and some of the community around it, or families around it. Yeah. Well, the first thing that uh, we would do is to talk with the various parties involved to see what's their perspective, uh, because one of the <clears throat> things is you don't ever want to re-victimize uh, somebody. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> you don't want to start thinking about a particular practice or a particular way of dealing with it that's going to just make it worse. Mm. Um, so the first thing is to talk to all of the relevant parties and see what their thinking is and where they are now and, and what they're willing to do or what their hopes are. 
and uh, then decide what's the best practice. It might be uh, to bring those two individuals together or sometimes the parents uh, may be present as well, uh, either as support or uh, what's going on in the home. Mm. Uh, so it it's very particularized to the individuals that we're dealing with. Mm. And uh, we always have mediations that are done by two mediators, not one, so that there's we're a backup to each other mm. and uh, can uh, make sure that it's a safe situation when, when we do it. Uh, we've had sessions where police were in the background or right outside the door if that's needed right because violence could break out again it could yeah yeah even we though you're trying to do think, we don't think it's going to right but we always go to the safety yeah factor so can can you think of a story like a, a highlight reel for where where maybe there was pretty severe victim pretty severe perpetrator a community that you actually saw this play out to where people there was really some healing in both parties and and in the community uh well I'll, this isn't a severe one but it just to me says so much about the restorative process was uh this took place in uh, with a student in the uh liberty schools Okay. And uh, we were asked to mediate uh, between the student and uh, personnel from the school. Mm -hmm. And this boy was uh, part of a group of six boys that decided that they were going to go to where the buses are kept overnight. And they threw rocks and broke out the mirrors. Um, and the windows of the school of the buses so when the bus drivers get there the next morning early to go out on their routes they can't because they don't have operating mirrors and um, this is more than one one boy well, that we were dealing just with this with one, one particular boy that was that vandalized these buses yeah. okay yeah and uh, so the the representative of the school got to to say to this boy the implications on the school mm. uh all of the different things that you know there were kids waiting on school you know uh street corners waiting to be picked up but they couldn't because the buses couldn't operate the expense of it the insurance involvement um just he you know, mm -hmm. was able to say all of the different things. Mm -hmm. uh, the We learned from the boy what was going on in his life. And he was, uh, had gotten involved with these other boys that liked violence. And that was what they, you know, they were doing. So he, just because he wanted to be accepted with these other boys, mm -hmm. um, he was doing these things along with them. And um, so we had the session, 
and he wasn't doing well in school. Um, so at the end of the first mediation, he was given goals of what, uh, well, and he agreed. <clears throat> you always have agreement of mm. everybody. Um, so he agreed that he would uh, keep his, they had some kind of a notebook where they kept what all of their responsibilities were, the schoolwork and stuff, and when they were to have it done. So he was to complete that every day and attend school. He had been skipping a lot of school uh, and attend school. And we would get back together in two weeks. Mm. And so we got back together in two weeks, and he had done uh, what he said he would do. And the school representative said, you know, I'm glad I congratulate you, but uh, I want to be sure this isn't just a one-time thing to make me happy. Uh, so I want us to get back together again in a month. Mm. And uh, one of the uh, things that was decided was that uh, he would join a school-sponsored sport mm. so he could get involved with different kids and feel accepted and feel a part of things. Uh, and so he did that, and his when we got back together in a month, his he was on the honor roll hmm. at school. He was attending school on a regular basis, uh, completing his assignment, hmm. and uh, so that was the outcome of yeah. that. So it was, you know, may seem minor, but when you think of somebody that's on the trajectory and the path of violence... And getting in with the wrong people who are also doing that, it changed the trajectory. Yeah. And if you only punish him, <clears throat> it could just make him more angry and more right. violent and right. and perpetuate that. This this actually at least gave him the opportunity to 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 change, to yeah. to be restored himself, to change yeah. the trajectory yeah. of his life. Wow. Yeah. Such that's such a huge, like that's just one example. That's one example of a. And you think about all the schools, yeah, and all the all yeah. the violence and yeah. all the crimes and how much time and effort it takes to do yeah. that. Yeah, right. I mean, this is yeah. not this yeah. isn't like something you do in fifteen minutes or oh, we can fix this in thirty minutes. You know, right. This is a well, and, and, then, and you know, even in that example, we talked with the parties involved prior to having a mediation you mm -hmm. don't you don't just go and, and sit down and start yeah 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 so wow i lo i love this concept yeah i i'm it's just like uh, it's it's like oh my gosh the you know the time that it takes to heal but it's true in anything i mean yeah you know if like i i've been in recovery for about three and a half years and, um, you know, working the 12 steps and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, the time, like if I, if I log the hours that I've put in to meetings and working yeah. the steps and making amends and all those kinds of things, it's healing takes time and work. Yes. It takes time and yeah. work. And if we're committed to like, and I, I love this. I, I like starting out of Genesis one and two 
good the original blessing as Matthew Fox yeah. talks about. Yeah. Do you know Matthew <laughs> Fox? I've been trying to get an interview with Matthew Fox. He he's still he's still alive, but yeah. he wrote this um, book called I think it's Original Blessing. Yes, it's a beautiful book of of spirituality, but he, he kind of builds out of Genesis one and two and start right. instead of Genesis three, which is where so many right. theologians start. But, um, but that commitment to the value of every human being, the dignity and worth of every human being, because they're created in the image of God, we're all children of God right. and starting with that foundation. And then and then actually holding on to that, even in the midst of these situations where people do really horrible things, but how do we, how do we heal people? And just, just the execution of punishment doesn't even heal the families that are the victims or the right. individuals that are right. the victims. So it's a bigger, it's a bigger approach to, to actually restoration. And to me, it like this stuff about, you know, loving your enemies is, is like, like that's how do we, how do we actually do that? And this is an approach to actually yes. do that. Right. Don't you think? Yes. It's actually a proven approach that has worked with indigenous American people for who knows how long. Right. <laughs> uh, and then it's working. We're, we're seeing this play out in places around the country. Right. And even, yeah. Even the world. Well, there's a little bit of a footprint starting to happen around the world. Yeah, there's now a national uh, restorative justice organization, um, and there's an international one. Um, and um, we had the opportunity to create the Missouri Restorative Justice Coalition uh, almost 20 years ago now. Uh, and uh, one of our goals is to get it being taught in the criminal justice programs in oh the yeah in the institutions we look at what's what's yeah. going to put it there what's going to yeah. start you know planting seeds yeah into people's hearts and minds right, right. Mm. i love this yeah i love this um wow wow I could get behind something like this. I mean, obviously in my role as pastor, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm doing funerals like yesterday and yeah. there's, uh, you know, I'm always trying to think about healing and yeah. restoration, but such a challenging. Well, and the Center for Conflict Resolution really is making a difference in inroads into the systems, mm. uh, not just you know, doing the practices in schools and um, in mediations and various settings and things. But um, Annette Lance Simmons, that is the current executive director of it, is doing a fantastic job. And she is so good at it that it's now being recognized by the mayor, by, um, you know, various groups who invite her to be part of the Partners for Peace, mm. which is trying to bring together the head of the police department, the prosecutor's office, the mayor, the you know city council, so that it's all of us working together to 
do something toward being partners for peace. Mm. Uh, so uh, CCR is is doing the actual day-to-day things, but they're also helping to build the system mm. so that they're restorative. I love it. I love it. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I love your commitment to this and how you've been a part of this now for, what, 20 years 20 or so? 20 years, yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Rose, for uh, Spirituality Adventures. Thank you for taking time and, and sharing your story. And man, I if I could, uh, if I could shout this from the mountaintop and yeah. uh, and help people hear this, that I would encourage everybody to jump into this idea of restorative justice because I do think it 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 can heal and save and restore um and create new new futures for for people you know beautiful stuff is there one book you might recommend well there's uh for getting a basic understanding there's a little book of restorative justice and uh is that the title of it the little book of restorative justice okay restorative justice so it's it starts out with the you know, the very basic, simple things and the principles and philosophy of restorative justice. Okay. Awesome. And then how about you? Do you have a, a Facebook page or website or anything if somebody wanted to well, give Center, you a... Well, Center for Conflict Resolution does. Yes. Okay. They have a Facebook page. They have a website. Um, All right. Beautiful. Well, Sister Rose McClarney, thank you so much for your your ministry, your commitment to uh, Jesus, and to to live out some of these uh, these principles of restorative justice. Thanks for joining us on Spirituality Adventures. Thanks everybody for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation. Or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.